Welcome back to the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. As always, I have my co-host, our lead fantasy analyst, the man behind RoboScout, Dylan White alongside me. But today, we have a very special guest. We're switching up the format a little bit. We're not going to talk about recent happenings and potential pickups based on RoboScout uh, and other strong performances. We're going to be talking a little bit of uh, 2023 draft. Draft is coming up uh, this weekend. Um, it's become a bigger and bigger part of Dynasty Baseball over the last couple of years. So, of course, we have some expertise in-house, someone who does this full-time for their job. One of the best, if not the best, in the industry is Carlos Colazzo, our lead draft analyst. Carlos, welcome to the show, man. How are you? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, draft is right around the corner. It feels crazy that we're under a week out from it, uh, seeing where everyone's going to go. But this is a really good draft class, and I'm excited to uh, talk about the players with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that for fantasy, this is a this is a really fun class because, you know, even outside of any internationals that will sign, you know, any potential Japanese imports that could come over and sign, and there could potentially be a few this year. There certainly were a couple last year that kind of strengthened the top of FYPDs. I think just from the domestic side of things, this is as strong of, of a top five or six as we've seen in quite a long time. Um I wanted to sort of start it off with that because I think, you know, everybody's coming fresh off of the college world series. Uh, they had an opportunity to see the top three draft, uh, three college draftees potentially um, in the final of the college world series between Florida and LSU. We had of course, Dylan uh, Cruz, who's our number one player, Paul Skeens, who is our number one pitcher and Wyatt Lankford, who's not all that far behind these two. So I wanted to start this off and and sort of break it down a little bit in terms of Cruz, Lankford, Skeens. How do you see things shaking out? I know there could be a lot of chaos leading up to the draft. This is sort of the the crazy, the silly season, if you want to call it that, where a million different, you know, uh, potential theories come to light. Not necessarily all of them have, uh, you know, actual credence, but that being said, we're talking about three potential difference makers here for real life teams, but also for fantasy. So break down these three and how you think things will shake out and the type of assets you think they could potentially be in fantasy. Yeah, you mentioned the top of this class being one of the better ones we've seen in years. I think that's definitely the case. I think this is probably the best draft class that I've covered, which would go back to 2018. Uh, and these three being at the top of it is a significant reason for that. I think with Dylan Cruz, you mentioned as our number one player on the board, he's gotten uh, not comparisons in terms of player comparisons, but in terms of talent comparisons to an Adley Rutschman or a Chris Bryant caliber college player. I mean, that's that's pretty loud right off the bat. I think he is probably your best combination of up the middle defensive profile, uh, loud tools, now physicality and pure hitting ability that you're going to find in this draft class. I mean, I think he entered the year with a pretty high reputation of his hitting ability and power. I think he's only improved his reputation as a defender, as someone who can play center field and play it pretty well. Um, depending on the fit and depending on the big league team, like there's a chance he can move off that position and play corner and, and be a really good, probably a plus defensive corner. But for me, I love Dylan Cruz, just pure hitting ability, his approach. He's got elite bat speed. He really sees the ball 
uh, deep into the zone, makes adjustments late. Uh, it's just a really well-rounded player. And I think he's probably going to be the top player on the board for most teams. I think, I don't think, but I know that I've talked to play, people who like Wyatt Langford even more than they like Cruz. And I think depending on which one you're going to take just depends on how you value defense and how you value power. I think you could maybe make the case that Wyatt Langford has a little bit more raw power than Cruz. He probably has a swing that is more, uh, it's easier to access that power now without any sort of swing tweaks. I mean, you saw him hit three home runs uh, in the college world series uh, and just the force and the torque and the, the physicality that he has. Um, is really impressive. It's it's maybe 70-grade raw power. Um, I think you have more questions about his defensive profile, which maybe in a fantasy format doesn't matter to you. And so if you think that Langford has a chance to hit for more power, uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be crazy to me for someone to take Langford over Cruz, depending on landing spots, depending on, on your team need. And then Paul Skeens is probably the best college pitching prospect we've had since Steven Strasburg. I mean, this is a guy who averaged 98 miles per hour in his fastball. He's got a double plus slider. He's got at least a plus changeup. He broke that out in the College World Series, and it looked fantastic. It's uh, a now big league body. It's now big league stuff. It's now big league command. I mean, he should fly through the minor leagues. Again, depends where where he's actually going, maybe. That'll determine the, the actual timeline. But in terms of being big league ready, he has literally everything you could need right now. So it's a very a very strong trio of players, and you're not going to go wrong with any of them. Yeah, and I think um... – you know, it's interesting because as we come into this season, you know, I, I assume the first first year player draft rankings that people will see in the public space won't necessarily be from us. We typically wait until the offseason comes to kind of analyze how these guys have done and re-rank them because there's not many first year player drafts that take place prior to December 1st, really. Um, but that being said, it seems like we could see a lot of variance between how that top three shakes out and it's reasonable and it could be based on your format. Um, somebody who's in a, a points league type of structure might actually prefer schemes just because, as you said, looks like he's major league ready. He has these weapons. Um, he has, you know, as much helium and notoriety as Steven Strasburg certainly did. Um, you know, Strasburg's career obviously was derailed by injury, but the early years, Strasburg had some ace-like seasons, and those don't grow on trees. It's rare to find a guy like that, particularly in FYPD. Um, as a pitcher, there's certainly some uncertainty there, but I do think that, like, in the right format, it probably makes a lot of sense. I struggle for fantasy in terms of ranking out Cruz versus Lankford. Um, if it's an OBP format, I could probably lean Cruz a little bit, I think if we're talking standard five by five, I tend to lean a little bit harder on impact. And, you know, it looks like Langford could be a 30 plus home run bat where Cruz, maybe you have like a more well varied skill set in terms of the OBP. There's more speed. Um, there's less defensive questions, but I think you'd probably say Langford's bat is the type of quality and his defense isn't so bad that he's positionless that it, the defensive questions aren't necessarily going to keep him off the field, which is what our biggest concern yeah. is from a fantasy, from a fantasy perspective. For so, sure. I think that's definitely not the case. And I think that yeah. he might even get a chance to start his career in center field because he yeah. is a guy who's turned in 70 great run times. Maybe there's a team that wants to see. So it, it definitely wouldn't be a concern of like, oh, the defense is bad. It's more like 
uh, in the traditional prospect evaluation, is it a center fielder or a corner? Sure. But but for fantasy, he should definitely be in the lineup every day. So you have to rank out the top three here, Carlos. How would you rank these three for fantasy? Obviously, we're not going to hold you to this because things could change. We saw what happened with Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones, guys going in different directions once they yeah. throw the ball. They are college guys, though, so they're probably a little bit less uh, mm-hmm. risky than two prep players. So how would you rank the, the top three out yourself, just your personal preferences? A personal preference, I would probably do Cruz, Langford, Skeens, just because I would be a little bit afraid of the pitching. Um again, I think Skeens probably has the highest upside in this entire class though. So I I wouldn't argue in any order, but if you're looking at my personal preference, I think just the combination of pure hitting ability, impact SEC performance that Cruz and Langford offer. I like the ability to take these guys and just feel very confident that I'm getting a well-rounded offensive contributor. Um, And I guess it it probably would depend on my team too. Like my current team in in the BA Dynasty League, I have no pitching. So in that league, if I was picking one, I probably am taking schemes just because I view the talent similar and my team has no pitching. Um, so take, keep that in mind, but just in a vacuum, I'd take both the hitters over the the pitcher, just given the inherent risk of pitching in general. I think, I think it's it, so close and it's so dependent on need that maybe if you have the third pick in an FYPD or sorry, the first pick in an FYPD, you may want to trade down a third, <clears throat> yeah. get an additional you know asset, in the trade and then just take whoever's left over at number three. Yeah. If you have like no specific needs for pitching or outfield and you can do that, I think this would be an excellent year to do that. So after that, that extremely top heavy three, I guess the next two are kind of consensus, Max Clark, Walker Jenkins in some order. What kind of ceiling do you see? Is it possible they could even have a higher ceiling than any Mm -hmm. of, of Langford or Cruz? Yeah, I think that in terms of uh, like non-fantasy prospect rankings, these are the top five guys that are kind of in this consensus top tier. Um, all the three college players we mentioned, and then the high school outfielders, Walker Jenkins, Max Clark. Um, with Jenkins and Clark, I think there is more of a difference in skill set and tool set compared to Cruz and Langford. So depending on what you value or what you like, maybe you could lean in, in more uh, – you could lean in different directions a little bit more heavily. Uh, for me personally, I think Walker Jenkins has maybe the best swing in the entire draft class, just aesthetically. Uh, it's a beautiful swing. It's it's very smooth. It's leveraged through the zone. Um, it's a fantastic body. I mean, area scouts in North Carolina are saying that Walker Jenkins is the best position player uh, they've had since Josh Hamilton, which is pretty loud praise. So that would be uh, better than anyone this century. Uh He's a guy who has a chance to be a 30-plus home run hitter. Uh, he's probably going to start his career in center field. I think he moves around well, but he probably is going to be a guy who moves to a corner. It's a bigger frame. He's not a huge burner, uh, but he'll play the position well. He's got good arm strength. Uh, and then Max Clark is maybe the most electric center fielder of this entire group, high school or college. Um, it's 70-grade running ability that he's shown pretty consistently, both in the field and from home to first. He'll be a stolen base threat probably more so than any of these other guys that we've talked about, just given uh, how much faster he is. Uh, he's one of the better pure hitters in the high school class with a long track record of performance as well. And then the big question with Max Clark is just what sort of power is he going to hit for? He's already pretty strong and muscular now. It's not a ton of physical projection moving forward. And the swing currently built is more conducive to hard hit line drives, balls to the gaps, ground balls. Um, he did make a swing change this spring, kind of lowered the hands a little bit, uh, I think, in an attempt to hit for a little bit more power. 
and he doesn't have he has very solid raw power it's just a question of like what is that power going to play like in games on a pro schedule three years from now um and so if you're worried about the impact with clark maybe you take a guy like jenkins who has really never had any of those concerns but he also has less track record of hitting at a high level compared to walker so that one i think is, is probably a pretty interesting philosophical conversation like which of those do you value i think like putting it bluntly, maybe Jenkins has more upside and maybe Max Clark is the safer prospect just given his varied tool set. Um, but they're both very much in this kind of top tier of players in the draft. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It's sort of like Walker Jenkins has the the sky high, Josh Hamilton ceiling, and then Max Clark sort of the safer, as you say, safe for a prep uh, outfielder. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that. And, and would you... Uh... Would you view like this sort of top five that we're discussing right now is clear cut? There's really nobody else that might sneak into that top five from, and we'll talk Mm -hmm. about these guys after the break, but like some of the college bats that are here, there's a handful of really talented prep shortstops. Yeah. I mean, mean, you can never predict the future, right? And there's always going to be guys that come into pro ball that really perform. And all of a sudden we're sitting there in December and January and people are like, I don't know, Spencer Jones might be a top five player in FYPD. Yeah. There's certainly stuff like that could happen, but it seems like this is a little bit more like locked in than even with previous years that we always say that. And then guys stumble and others, you know, certainly. Absolutely. No, I think in terms of the information we have now, in terms of pre-draft rankings, like these are the guys we've consistently asked the industry, like what's the top tier? These are always the names that come back. I'm I'm confident that there will be some player who is drafted after them or who's not included in this tier who after their first year pro ball, people might view more favorably to uh, one or two in this group because it, it just always seems to happen. And I do think the 2023 class has so many exciting and toolsy hitters throughout the first round that there's just going to be a lot of a lot of players who have the opportunity to take steps forward in pro ball. Um, But as of right now, the industry has consistently told us these are the top five players in the class. Uh, And it's, it's almost like that 2019 group where we had six players, six hitters at the very top who are kind of like the top tier. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully that's the order they go in the draft because that'll make things easier for me from a mock perspective. Um, But I do think with the Pirates picking at one and with a few teams in the top five really wanting college players, you could see someone jump in there on draft day just because of the demographic uh, and because there's a really strong draft class overall. But in in terms of pure talent and what we know now, those are the five guys. Last question I'll ask you on the on the prep stuff. Um, I guess my question is, we, we have seen some of the top prep players, particularly from last year's class, Elijah Green among them, um, struggle. But I think there was risk that was kind of apparent with a lot of those guys at the time of them being drafted. And the fact that even with Drew Jones, there could be some struggles based, especially at the plate, um, based on their profiles. These four college, excuse me, these four hitters that we're talking about here, two college guys, two prep guys, they seem a little bit safer. Is that just my own personal perception? Or do you think from a skill set, there's maybe less risk than some of the top end guys that we saw last year? who had huge upside as well. Yeah, I think all of these guys are probably safer bets to hit than Elijah Green was at the time because he he always had those pure contact questions that kind of came with the impact power that he had. And he's kind of been that player in pro ball, just a really more extreme version of that. Uh, I don't think Walker Jenkins ever had the sort of swing and miss questions. The one thing that you can maybe point to is Walker Jenkins was injured uh, last summer. So he didn't play a ton on the summer showcase circuit 
Now, he is a guy who has a really extended and lengthy underclass track record of hitting and hitting at a high level. So I'm I'm still not too concerned just because of how the swing works, the bat speed, the track record we do have. But if you if you want to raise a question mark, I think Jenkins' just lack of playing time last summer because of a handmate injury would be one that maybe you could draw. But neither Max Clark or Walker Jenkins have the sort of unusual hitting style that Drew Jones had at the time. Uh, and, and Drew Jones, I even thought that would still work for him in pro ball because, I mean, everyone viewed him as the best hitter in the class after Tamar. He had a quick bat. It was like bat-to-ball skills. But you can see how that really hasn't worked for him, although he's all obviously battled some health issues as well. So I think maybe that would be safe to say. Like, we don't have the kind of freak athlete with contact questions here. They're, they're more well-rounded offensive profiles, I would say, and they're more, like, aesthetically normal Um swings um so if that gives you confidence i think that's fair absolutely um for sure and i you know i i just think that that's a, a testament to the quality up at the top of this draft and uh, just comparing and contrasting because it seems like it's a narrative particularly in like the dynasty fantasy world that's out mm-hmm. there right now because we have seen drew jones struggle we've seen green struggle yeah. to a degree we saw tomorrow jones uh jo- excuse me tomorrow johnson struggle uh, yeah. well. i almost made him drew jones's brother there because uh, <laughs> they were on the cover of our draft preview last year but and um, and as you yeah. mentioned those guys i think it's worth mentioning that walker jenkins and max clark if they were in the draft class a year ago like all of those guys would be viewed as equal talents to drew jones and tomorrow and elijah like it would be an interesting conversation to have is like would walker jenkins and max clark go above those guys i think there's a chance that they do uh, that they're equal talents to the Jordan Lawlers and the Marcelo Myers of the world. Um, and they're probably going to be a little underrated because there are three really good college players that just happen to be in their class. For sure. Yeah. I know we've been uh, on the regular prospect side, sort of been like wringing our hands and wishing the draft was in June because it would have made updating our top 100 significantly easier than it's been in recent weeks. Um, but that being said, we've got a great class of college here. We're going to talk about, in a minute right after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, and we are back with Carlos Colazzo. Dylan and I have sort of talked about the top five with Carlos thus far. Really exciting class. Something that 
I, you know, if you have a pretty good team, you're drafting outside of the top five to 10, depending upon your league size, you're probably looking for a little bit safer bets. Guys that maybe are really talented, could potentially be top 100 prospects, if not on day one, very shortly. Um, college bats always seem to be a really good place to sort of go for that. And this this year we have a ton of really talented college bats that kind of slot in between, we'll say like 8 to 30. Um, got some mm-hmm. names here I'm going to throw at you. Jacob Wilson, Jacob Gonzalez, Kyle Teal, Tommy Troy, Matt Shaw, Braden Taylor, Enrique Bradfield, Brock Wilkin, Yo-Yo Morales, Chase Davis, Nolan Shanuel. I've seen all these guys fall within 10 to 20 at certain points in, in mock drafts and in certain people's rankings and conversations. Like I said, you got them pretty much from eight all the way out to 30 here. This is a really deep group where if you're sort of missing out on those top five to six talents, you have a, a pretty interesting crop of college hitters here. Typically college hitters closer to the majors. We saw this year, we even had some guys like Zach Nato who made it up to the major leagues within a year. Of course, not everybody here is going to be drafted by the angels, but maybe one of them will be. And that guy might be in the major leagues next year, but regardless of organization, two to three years seems like a pretty reasonable uh, expectation for when these guys could be up. They typically move a little bit faster. They typically hit very well on the lower levels. So, you know, this is the type of pick you can make. And by May or June, your return on investment, particularly on the on the trade market, might be better. And it's often how the winning dynasty teams stay winning as they sort of sit back in, in these FYPs and let players fall to them. This is an exciting group, Carlos. So talk talk me through some of these different players because we have a lot of different types of players. Enrique yeah. Bradfield and Brock Wilkin, very different types of players. Absolutely. And you mentioned that. I think that's what's most interesting about this group is that like depending on what you need or what you like in a player or what you think is easier to project out and, and feel confident in a profile at the big league level, like there are a ton of different flavors um, to choose from in this demographic. And, and really, I don't think there's a massive talent drop off from the first player you named Jacob Wilson, who's the highest ranked college player of this group to uh, Chase Davis and, and Nolan Shaniwell, who who was at the bottom of that group. And it, it really just depends on like what you like. But what sticks out to me about this second tier of college hitters compared to a year ago Last year, I really liked a lot of the power that the college class provided. This year, I like a lot of the tools, and there are a lot more up-the-middle profiles that I think you can be confident are going to stay up the middle. There are a number of shortstops, Jacob Wilson, um, Jacob Gonzalez, Matt Shaw, Tommy Troy has even played some shortstop. Like Not all these guys are going to be shortstops in pro ball, but I think there's a really good chance that they stick in the infield and play positions of need and priority positions while bringing exciting hit power combinations and some speed like with Jacob Wilson, maybe you're not getting a ton of impact, a ton of power, uh, but he has maybe the best contact skill in the entire class is an elite contact rate. Um, He does have some physical projection. So there's a chance he adds a little bit more power. Um, Probably one of the safer defensive shortstops in this class. Uh, If you don't like that, you want a little bit more upside. You've got Matt Shaw, who's got a really exciting power speed combination, really strong forearms and hands has produced big numbers at Maryland uh, over the last three years. Probably not a shortstop, but again, I think he's going to play second base, uh, maybe third base, probably second base and, and play it perfectly well. I think he's like similar to a Justin Foscue type, though I like the power and speed tools a little bit more than I liked uh, with Foscue at the time. 
And then you have a guy like Braden Taylor, who if, if you don't want a pure hit tool with limited power and, and maybe you're a little bit scared of the pure hitting ability of Matt Shaw, you got a guy like Braden Taylor, who I think has one of the best approaches in the entire class. He's a third baseman now, probably more average tools across the board. But if you're in an OBP league, this is a guy who has an elite batting eye, uh, a fantastic approach, rarely ever chases out of the zone. Uh, I just think it's one of the best overall approaches. And he also tapped into more power this year. I think he has a swing that's really, for whatever reason, he produces the right angles to maximize the raw power that he has. Um, so he's probably one of my personal favorite hitters outside of this elite tier. And then we can get into kind of these more unusual and unique, maybe more polarizing profiles like Enrique Bradfield, who is just an outlier runner and defender in center field, uh, but has impact questions or like a Brock Wilkin and a Johanny Morales who have a ton of power, but there is some skepticism of how the hit tool is going to play at the next level. Um, and then you've got your, your kind of well-rounded offensive types that are at uh, bottom of the, of the spectrum or bottom of the scale defensive positions, like in Nolan Chaniwell, who maybe had the best offensive season in baseball this year and is an analytics darling, uh, so there's just a lot of different profiles that depending on what you like, I think Dylan mentioned trading back earlier. If you can trade towards the back of this range and, and just get a guy, I don't think there's a massive drop off in talent between any of these players. Uh, and I imagine that post draft, like where they're landing spots, I, I imagine that might be more of a factor than, than even what their own skill set is for players. Of this group, you have to pick one uh, that you would want to, have fall to you or potentially target outside of that top five, um, who would it be and, and why? Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned it, but Braden Taylor is always a guy. I just really believe in his hitting ability. Uh, I think he doesn't do anything outside of hitting that like really will blow you away. Like he's just a fair defender at third base. It's just fine arm strength. He's not a burner of a runner. Uh, I think he is a great instinctual base runner. So maybe uh, he's a guy who could add a little bit more stolen base numbers than you would expect because he's just such a smart and savvy runner on the bases. But for me, like if I'm drafting a hitter, I want to feel confident that that he's going to be a legitimate big league hitter. And of this group of players, I think he has the best combination of like pure hitting ability, power, uh, track record and a strong conference performance against top pitching. Uh, that just makes me feel confident that I'm getting a big leaguer. Uh, and I do think that if you look at his frame, he's going to add a little bit more power. It's not crazy exit velocities. It's not crazy raw power. Uh, but he's just one of those guys that I just firmly believe is going to hit and hit at a high level and hit for a long time. Um, so that's the one that, that maybe feels the safest to me and, and would be the guy that I'm most excited to, to have fall down a board to me. You were talking about... Uh... Analytics darling, Nolan Genuel. I think Chase Davis is starting to get some buzz too uh, in the Twitter sphere about his underlying data. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go off book here for a sec. Um, I guess with the proliferation of like Statcast data for college, are you seeing uh, since you started covering the draft? Are you seeing changes in sort of philosophies of teams that maybe they're more model based, mm -hmm. um, just because all this data is available and they can back test it and they can maybe find you know equivalencies, etc. Are you seeing a change in sort of the way teams are handling it, or not all teams, but are there some mm -hmm. teams that are kind of shifting towards more model based drafting? Yeah, I think it's much more common for all of these numbers to matter for more, more and more teams. There are still a few that it, it doesn't seem to really uh, change their evaluations too much, but I think. Um, those will almost be entirely gone in a few years. I mean, having access to the data personally lets you know, like, 
just what are the specific numbers, but I do think a number of these teams have been kind of doing this for several years now. And especially with the college players where you can get a large uh, data set to work with, that's really going to change the evaluations. And maybe it just makes you feel more confident in your evaluations of a player. Like even if you like this player beforehand, having the amount of data that we do have now on these amateur players has to just reinforce your confidence. I think there are some players who, who maybe would have gone under the radar in previous years, like maybe Nolan. I mean, Nolan Chenuel is not going under the radar given given the year he had, but but the bat to ball skills he has, the exit velocities, the chase rates, like he has pretty exceptional numbers across the board. And you mentioned Chase Davis. Davis is an interesting one because I think, uh, like based on traditional scouting tools, he grades out really well. And then this year, with with additional contact ability that he showed, he grades out really well analytically. He hits the ball really hard. Jeff has had some pretty interesting numbers that puts Chase Davis into really elite company when you're looking at the last few years in terms of college hitters. Davis specifically is a player who I almost expected to rank higher on our board. Like I was waiting for more teams to push him further and further up. And I think he maybe is one of the most interesting players in the class because entering the year, he had major swing and miss questions, major contact questions when looking at the top 200 college players in the class, like his overall contact rate was among the worst. Uh, he made a significant improvement this year, um, and that is that has moved the the needle for him back in the positive direction. And so I'm curious if there are teams who who think there was a legitimate change this year and that skill is, is legitimately improved for him moving forward, or if there are going to be some people who hold his high school track record in his first two years against him in that regard. Like, where is the pure contact skill with Chase Davis? Because the tools and the athleticism and the swing from the left side are all really exciting and I think he could be a player who appeals to really progressive analytical minds and old school scouts as well. So he's he's maybe the most fascinating player of this group that we're talking about so far. Yeah, I know that um, last guy I'll mention here from this group, I've been hearing some buzz about Teal going in the top 10. Um, what do you think of him as just an offensive player, how he's going to grade out for fantasy it is a catcher, but he's played a few different positions, so he kind of falls into that unusual, you know, Dalton Varsho sort of like Will Smith when he was coming up and was playing some second base and those sort of things. I guess Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis kind of fall into that too. And uh, that's kind of the dream with catchers in fantasy is they catch enough to keep the, the, uh, the catching designation, but also mm-hmm. – see time in other positions so their hands don't take the wear and tear that a typical catcher does, which obviously can impact, uh, you know, hitting and, and just consistency and health, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teal is maybe one of the most athletic players in this class. He really has an, an outstanding run tool and athletic foundation that you just typically don't see at the position. It was really fun watching him in high school because at East Coast Pro, he actually played every single position on the diamond. Uh, and I think part of that was just because he can, they wanted to get him at every every position during the game. I think he definitely could, could be a good defender at a number of positions. If he doesn't catch in pro ball, obviously his, his value to a pro team will be at its highest. If he can stick behind the plate and at least be a, a primary catcher. Um, he's got a plus throwing arm uh, more than enough for the position in the past. He's been a guy who's been critiqued a little bit for his receiving. Um, I think that has improved this spring. Although I'll continue to say that like scouting and evaluating catcher defense seems to be one of the hardest um, tools and skills to evaluate compared to how these guys perform in pro ball. We'll hear certain things about a catcher and then they go into pro ball and a year later, I, sometimes we hear the exact opposite. Um, 
But in terms of a hitter, he has an exceptionally violent swing from the left side. He is looking to do damage, uh, although I think he has more average overall power. He's always been a guy who's performed at Virginia, but he just came off an exceptional 2023 season, hit over 400. Um, he's got pretty sound approach at the plate, knows the strikes zone well, has always walked at a pretty high rate, has always minimized his strikeouts. Um, so I think it's probably averages tools across the board outside of the run and, and arm. Um, so and just in terms of like an offensive player, I think he could maybe become an average hitter with average power, um, could nudge, nudge those up or down depending on like the approach at the next level. Um, he is going to benefit from the fact that this year's college catching class is very down and he is very clearly the top college catcher in the class. So I assume, like you mentioned, hearing some buzz about him going in the top 10, uh, teams like the A's, teams like the Reds have been all over him. If he goes right after that elite top five tier that we're talking about, it would not surprise me at all. I would imagine his value is a little bit muted in a fantasy format, particularly if whoever drafts him doesn't want him to run too much, although I think he could be an above average runner just in general overall, not even talking about like for a catcher. He is a very good runner uh, and can steal, uh, but it's just the amount of wear and tear that you want to con continue to add to his legs and pro ball. I'll be curious to see like how often he actually does run in that setting. Very good, very good. So, so after college bats, I guess one of the more popular phylums of, of draftees are, are the prep shortstops. Um, just you can dream on their tools, dream on their body to, to become fantasy mm -hmm. assets. And so this year, you know, it looks like there's a pretty nice class there as well. Colin Houck, Arjun Nimala. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I've seen the video and I, I, that's all I need to know. Uh, Walker <laughs> Martin, Kevin McGonigal, George Lombard. How, how would you say this year's prep shortstop class compares to previous years? I think this is maybe one of the deeper high school shortstop classes we've had. It's not the sort of elite grouping of, of top of the first round talent that we had in 2020 when we had Lawler and we had Meyer and we had House and we had Khalil Watson. Um, but I do think that it's not terribly far off that depending on just how you view top of the class impact versus legitimate top two rounds depth. Um, there are a number of shortstops in this class. You should go in the first round, kind of middle of the first round, back the first round, then into the supplemental, even early second round. I mean, the, the first two you mentioned, Colin Houck and Arjun Namala, are probably going to be the first two off the board. They get brought up more than some of these other players, uh, just in kind of mock draft reporting that we're doing. But a guy like Walker Martin out of Colorado, yes, he's very old for the class. And for some teams, that might just eliminate him from their boards. He'll, he'll be almost 19 and a half at the draft, but he's also an exceptional athlete, uh, just had one of the best performances of any high school player in the nation, really. I mean, it was an exceptional season. It's a very smooth and easy left-handed swing. He's got power. He's got good defensive ability. It's just a well-rounded tool set um, with excellent athletic foundation, excellent makeup. Uh, a lot of teams are really high on him. He's a guy who's moved up the board late in the year. Uh, and then you've got Arjun Namala and Colin Houck. I mean, I'm more of a Colin Houck guy than a Namala guy. Uh, Namala is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum for Walker Martin when you're looking at his age. He's one of the younger players in the draft class. He'll still be 17 on draft day. It's really elite, pure bat speed. It's a really quick turn um, through the through the zone. He's got power now, and he's going to have a lot of power in the future as he fills out his frame. There are maybe more questions about what he's going to be as a defender. He's not the best runner ever, and I could see him adding more strength and power and, and kind of taking a step backward defensively. He has really impressive actions, I think, on the defensive side, but 
he might wind up being more second base than shortstop. And then I think Colin Houck is a little bit of a combination of both of these players, very strong athlete, multi-sport athlete, and, and talented high school quarterback. Uh, for me, I think he's got average or better tools across the board. Uh, it's good hitting ability, solid power, maybe not going to have the, the sort of elite bat speed and, and top end power potential that Namala has, but I think he's got a chance to be solid average or above average in that department. Um, again, really good actions on the left side, probably more shortstop third base than shortstop second base. Uh, but I think he'll be a, a good or above average defender wherever he ends up. Um, and so these are kind of the top three guys. We haven't even talked about Kevin McGonagall, which feels weird entering the year. McGonagall is viewed as maybe the best pure hitter in the high school class. He's kind of that Cole Young mold of a prospect, undersized shortstop with a really advanced hit tool, not a ton of power. Um, and I think there's more chance than, than even Cole Young that he moves from shortstop to second, just because the arm is a little bit light. Um, but if you just want a pure hitterish uh, bat to feel confident about, Kevin McGonagall would probably be that guy in this class. And, and we can get into some of these other ones as well. Sammy Stiffer uh, out of New York is a favorite of mine, and it sounds like he's going in the first round. But, you know, as I'm talking about these guys, there are just so many of them that uh that that you can fall in love with and really like and and i think the industry is going to have a number of these players in the first round too let's move on to a different demographic here uh one that had some questions kind of coming into the year i think it's probably been a couple of years since the college pitching has been really strong we know about paul Skeens at the top of the draft we talked about him a little bit earlier there's mm -hmm. a couple of other guys here in Rhett louder um you know, certainly Hurston Waldrop, um, who pitched really well down the stretch. You know, his last game wasn't great, uh, but as he started to lean into more of his secondary usage, he started to see a little bit more success. He, of course, was a guy that transferred to Florida this year from Southern Mississippi. Uh, and then Chase Dolander, who was a guy who, coming into the year, I think some people kind of talked about in a similar vein to how Skeens is being discussed now, mm -hmm. um, came off a tremendous season in 2022 with, with Tennessee. So when we talk about those three, how do those guys shake out? Um, talk to me a little bit about them and how they fit into this, this first round group. Yeah, they're really interesting. And I think again, kind of like the shortstops, it's pick your poison. What do you like in a pitcher? What do you not like? What scares you? What doesn't scare you? I think if you want safety in a, in a college pitcher in this demographic, you just want someone you can feel confident about. Um, you just really need innings. Uh, Rhett Louder is probably your guy. I think he's, Outside of Skeens, he is probably the most ready now pitcher in the class. Jeff, I know you've talked about this in the past, the fact that Louder, he really doesn't have a ton of projection moving forward. And I think you could you could take that negatively. You could take that positively if you want. Like, if you think his stuff is good enough now, that's great. Like, he doesn't really have anything else to do. Uh, it's a really advanced three-pitch mix. He has fantastic feel and pitchability with those, with those pitches. It's been enough to miss bats at the college level. It is kind of that sinking and running fastball that, that maybe is not the the sort of meta that we're seeing in the pro ball. It's not this high carry vertical break fastball. Uh, I do think the changeup, regardless of of what you think about the fastball, is probably one of the better changeups in the class. Him and Hurston Waldrop have have two of the more consistently loud changeups that you'll see. Um, the slider is a pitch that I'm maybe not as high on as some people. I think it has been above average at times for me when I've seen Ladder in person. He gets into trouble if he he's not spotting. Uh, with the fastball and changeup as consistently, and if the slider's left up, it can get hit at times, but it has been good when he's been able to mix it and match it. Um, so if you like safety, Louder is, is the safest college pitcher in the class, not named Paul Skeens. If you want just pure upside and you're you're not afraid to uh, take a little risk, then Hurston Waldrop might be your guy. 
Uh, I know Peter Flaherty has said this. Uh, I'm sure many other people have said this, but in terms of pure pitches across the board, you can make a case that he's the most talented arm in the class. Uh, it's four plus or better offerings. It's a fastball that's in the upper 90s. The split change is an absolute monster of a pitch that just falls off the table. Uh, that gets double plus grades. He's got a slider and a curveball that have both gotten plus grades as well. It's elite arm speed. I think it's a strong athlete. So if you want to bet on that athlete moving forward and hopefully a uh, a pretty good pitching development organization, uh, maybe you could dream on that guy becoming like a, a right-handed Shane McClanahan type who had reliever questions in college and, and figures it out in pro ball. But there is reliever risk, risk with Waltrip. Uh, he's always walked batters more than you'd like. I think the fastball command is is fairly erratic at times. He's going to need to clean that up to make the most of his stuff, but it is super loud stuff. And then with Chase Dollander, I think uh, depending on how you view Chase Dollander, you could view him as somewhat in between these players. A year ago, like Jeff mentioned, he was viewed as as the best college pitcher in this class. He entered the year as the consensus top pitcher in the class. It's a buttery smooth delivery, great athlete, really easy operation. And he had a lights out fastball and slider a year ago. The pitch shape on both those pitches backed up and was a little bit more inconsistent. This year, the command backed up a little bit. Um, there's no obvious reason for that. There have been a couple scouts I've talked to have, who have brought up very minor mechanical tweaks and adjustments that maybe he could make to get him back to that 2022 version. Uh, but he had chance after chance to perform and, and show that he was that 2022 version this year. And it just never fully happened. He, he never looked quite as crisp. I think he's probably still going to go in the top 10, top 12 or so picks. Um, but I, I think there is more reason for concern with Dolander now than you would have expected uh, just given the stuff he has. He still averages 95, still flashes a plus slider. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the the top tier of players after Skeens. And I think outside of that, there's no lock to go in the first round, but all these guys should still be drafted among the first. Yeah, I, I do remember Chase Dollander, the, all the talk before the season started. He's, he's lock at 1-1. He's going to be the guy, maybe Cruz, but definitely Chase Dollander. And then he just kind of hasn't really met that ceiling and the the expectations we put on him. Mm-hmm. So I, being in the prospect world, it's it's always a, a very popular question, like it or not. Uh, we're always asked, who are the sleepers that are available? Who who can be a possible top 100 but isn't consensus in the you know the top rankings right now um very open-ended maybe sleepers that you like personally maybe mm-hmm. people who are, are injured and didn't play partial season so they're questions but you know the ceiling is there or maybe some buzz you're hearing behind the scenes of some teams liking guys that maybe the rest of the industry aren't on like maybe evan carter type things um yeah so I'll, I'll open it up to you for, for how to answer this question some sleepers available yeah, that's a good one. There are a couple. I, I wasn't sure like how deep you guys wanted me to go for sleepers, but there, here's a guy who isn't getting a ton of first round chatter. Um, but I think in terms of like the overall hitting ability, there's a chance for him to be quite good. That's Gino Groover at North Carolina State. There are real questions that I have just defensively in profile. Where is he going to play? But if you look at uh, just the performance that he's had with the bat, some of the analytical numbers, like he checks a lot of boxes analytically. We talked about Nolan Chanuel kind of checking the, the contact, the impact, the chase rates, like Gino Groover does all that as well. He just did it in the ACC. Um, I think he's a bit of a polarizing player uh, for a number of reasons, but there are some teams that, that I know who have at least thought about him as like a back of the first round type. Um, and if he's, if he continues to hit like he's hit, this spring in pro ball, he could easily be one of those guys who just jumps up 
Um, and, and you kind of forget about some of the defensive questions and some of the defensive limitations because he just has always hit and he continues to hit. So he would be one um, kind of outside of that first round range that I like. Uh, another one, there are a couple arms that I like that that don't get a ton of first round buzz, but have been tracking in, the, in a positive direction. One of these players, I think you saw Jeff recently, that's Joe Whitman, a left-handed pitcher at Kent State. Um, he's kind of stepping into this void of college left-handed pitchers and has established himself as as the top college left-handed pitcher in the class with, with some really impressive turns on the Cape Cod League to end the year. It's just a very solid overall pitch mix. The other guy who performed well down the stretch is Ty Floyd at Louisiana State. Um, he's got exceptional characteristics to the fastball. It's great carry, great life. It's always been a really good fastball for him a year ago. I think he used it at like a 90% rate just because that pitch was so good. And his secondaries really had uh, a lot of room to improve. Uh, I've heard positive things about the improvement of his breaking ball uh, and the change up this spring specifically. Um, maybe he's gotten a little bit lost in the shadow of Paul Skeens at LSU, but his very loud college world series start where he struck out like 16 players um, very much put him back on the map. So he'd be another one in like this second round range. Um, who's impressive. And then even further down the board, another hitter that I've always really liked who again has some defensive profile questions is rock Reggio at Oklahoma state. He's a smaller guy. He's a stronger guy. It's not, it's not super toolsy uh, really at, at any level, but he's just always hit. He always hits the ball hard. I think he's going to have impact. Uh, he's been the best hitter on that team for a few years now. And I think he's another guy who, if he gets drafted and gets into pro ball and continues hitting, uh, we'll look back and just, think like hey this is a guy who's who's always hit going back to his high school days maybe we can sort of start overlooking some of the defensive shortcomings or some of the speed shortcomings and just look at a left-handed hitter who who has a little bit of impact and just always match so those are a couple that i really like and then maybe connor burns at, at long beach state who probably should be a non-factor for most fantasy players just because he's very much a polished catch and throw defense type with really significant hit questions but i think he's the best college catcher in the class from from a defensive standpoint. So those are some guys that I like further down the board. And there you have it. A 45 minute rundown of uh, the draft for fantasy. We're going to have a ton of draft content coming out this week. I would imagine you're going to have, I would assume multiple mocks being worked up, Carlos (laughs) stuff that will be mocked. And then as more, you know, information comes available, comes our way, those will be updated. We're going to have the final, top 500 rankings and then all the stuff that you do on draft day you're once again on the mlb network broadcast are you not yep day one i'll be there so hopefully i uh don't stumble over anything on the broadcast but i'll be there talking about players taking day one well hopefully this was a a little bit of a training ground for you because you did great (laughs) you ran through it smoothly (laughs) no questions asked a lot of information here you can follow carlos at carlos a colazo that's c-o-l-l-a-z-o on Twitter or whatever social media we're going to be on in the next six months. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) For Jeff, for Carlos, for Dylan, this was the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and all that good stuff. Thanks for tuning in.